Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. A lot has happened in the three weeks or so since I recorded last. Uh, unfortunately, the Packers season came to a disappointing end, but we'll hopefully still have at least another two months of Phoenix basketball to help us get through the winter. My name is Brian Dickman, and since the last episode, Green Bay has gone 3-2 and two with a rare loss to Milwaukee back on January 11th, followed by solid wins over Oakland, Detroit Mercy, and Cleveland State before suffering a disappointing loss at Youngstown State on Saturday afternoon. So that puts the Phoenix at 5-4 and four in a third-place tie as we hit into a huge weekend of basketball in Green Bay. For this episode, we're going to take it in a slightly different direction. And yes, I said we because I've got a co-host for this one. You might have heard him steal the show on a few Horizon Roundtable podcasts, Battle Royales, or seen his tweets complaining about Horizon League officiating, but either way, he's here to help dissect what has been an interesting first half of the conference schedule. I'm happy to be joined by Jim Saro. Jim, how's it going? Very good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. The first time I had somebody slide into my DMs, it was you. Uh, it wasn't what I had envisioned, but uh, here I am tonight. So thanks for having me. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, you actually gave me the final push to finally get this podcast up and running. So... I guess I owe you a thank you or an F you. I haven't decided yet. A little of both, and we could definitely say it was more than a little push. It was basically a push every day until it got done. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mentioned it on the first episode that I've been wanting to launch a podcast for a long time, and really all I needed was a little friendly nagging to finally make it happen. So, uh, But I don't think I've met a bigger Green Bay basketball fan than you. So I really enjoyed our Phoenix, Ho- uh, Phoenix Hoops conversations, win or lose. Um, yeah, You make me want to be a better fan. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and talk some Horizon League basketball. I love talking about it. So let's get going. Yeah. So you're a Green Bay season ticket holder. And, you know, if you don't mind, can you just give a little background on how you became a a Green Bay basketball fan, how long you've been following the team, that that kind of stuff? Yeah, I started when I was in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, Tony Bennett was and Dick Bennett were there. And I've always kind of been drawn to underdogs, and they were the ultimate underdog story, I think. And I just really how they won and how it was this little program doing big, big things and you know, eventually doing them on a national level. Um, that wasn't why I went to UW-Green Bay. There were different reasons for that. But then I eventually rolled as a freshman at UW-Green Bay, and I was involved in sports. I was in cross country and 
the lessons I learned and the the people I met through athletics have really moved me and staying involved with basketball because I'm a huge basketball fan. And then also uh, trying to stay close to coach Klein with cross country because of everything that he ever did for me. Um, Just staying involved with athletics has been really personally important to me. I do live in Milwaukee, but I drive up for all the games. It's about 90 minutes from my house. And I, I just try to get to as many as I can. And I try to do as much as I can as a fan to encourage them to win because um, I, I still kind of feel like they're uh, the ultimate underdog story. And, and I, I just a uh, big, big fan. You're totally right. And, you know, the budgets bear that out, even in the horizon league, they're towards the bottom and Ken Palm came out with his program ratings over this past summer and green Bay was number one, even despite that small budget. So you're totally right. Even still now they're doing more with less, which is awesome. Yeah, I say it all the time that uh, if some of the other programs in the league had what Green Bay had, they would definitely move up to the Missouri Valley or the A-10 or wherever some of these fans think their programs should go. But Green Bay has people that really care about it. They have financial support you know, for a small school with a small enrollment. They have, they're really good on ticket sales. They're really good on uh, financial donations to the program. I mean, they're doing a lot with what they have, and I'm, I just want to be there to see it continue to grow. And, and when they have that success, like 2016, and they get to the NCAA tournament, I mean, that's the stuff I really live for. I mean, I couldn't have um, – going to that was one of the coolest things I've done in sports, and I've done some really cool things, but that was, that was up there. I mean, I was right center court, uh, first row, and it was great. Right. Yeah, you've traveled to some road games as well. I think you went to Creighton last year, and you went to Xavier this year. Uh, is that something you try to do every year or are you just trying to visit all the big East venues? <laughs> uh, you know, I get out on the road every year going back to when coach Kowalczyk was here. Uh, I made some lonely trips out to, uh, Utah and Florida. Uh, I've been to Alaska, Nevada. I've been to Ohio several times. I've probably been to about 40 or 50 different places on the road. Uh, some of it's kind of like you, Brian, a little bit of a a nerd when it comes to stuff. Like there's no better way to compare what green Bay has and what green Bay is doing to other programs that we recruit against and compete against and going out and seeing what they have. And sometimes with the big East games that like Xavier, I have a friend that lives in Cincinnati, Creighton. I had a friend that lives in Omaha. So there's some other things too, that kind of combine with some of the trips. Nice. Yeah. So Brian Kuklinski on my last episode mentioned he's a big fan of Cincinnati and Callahan hall is his favorite horizon league road venue, which I was kind of surprised to hear that, to be honest. Um, do you have a favorite venue that you've seen green Bay play a game in off the top of your head in the horizon league or overall? Um, either one best venue. Well, it's not in the horizon anymore, but, uh, the best venue is Hinkle field house. Um, Valparaiso would be a close second like the when people say basketball matters in Indiana that's not just something they say in passing like the people there are really into it those buildings are loud it's uh when you get a win in one of those buildings you feel even as a fan where I did nothing but scream at the referees and you know encourage the players vocally um you feel like you did something because it is a tough environment to win there but they're really great places to play right 
So a little bit later, Kyle Craven from NorseReport.com is going to join us and preview Friday night's massive showdown at the Crest Center. Uh, but first, we're going to uh, look around the Horizon League as we're officially at the halfway point. Um, so I just kind of want to talk about, you know, who's been a surprise, who's been a disappointment. Uh, we can hand out some mid-season awards and uh, maybe look ahead to the second half. Uh, but as we sit here today, Wright State looks to be well on their way to nailing down one of the coveted top two seeds. Uh, they've opened up some breathing room at the top of the standings at 8-1. and one. Uh, They're followed by Friday's opponent, Northern Kentucky, at 6-3, and three, all alone in second place. And then there's a three-way tie for third at 5-4 and four between Milwaukee, Youngstown State, and Green Bay. Below that, you know, another mess of teams at 4-5, and five, UIC, Cleveland State, and Detroit Mercy followed by Oakland and IEPUI at the bottom. Uh, so we'll start there. And from a Green Bay perspective, they're picked to finish fifth, currently sit in a tie for third, although they're technically the fifth seed at this moment due to uh, losing the tiebreakers to both UWM and Youngstown State. Uh, but we'll talk about the whole league. But since this is a Green Bay-centric podcast, I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on the season so far. I mean, for me, Five and four feels about right, given the up and down performances we've had so far. Um, but just kind of curious to your overall thoughts on that first half of the conference season. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm a little, uh, I expected a little bit more. I had kind of shared with you before the season started, I thought seven and two in the first half looked about right. I, I didn't think that they'd win at Wright State, and I didn't think that they'd win at Youngstown State, and that uh, did bear out to be true. However, the IUPUI game was definitely a setback and, and not just because of the score, but how it played out where it didn't feel very competitive from a green Bay perspective. Right. And, and the Milwaukee game, they had done so well against Milwaukee in the coach Darner era that uh, I really felt like at home, that was going to be a, a pretty good game for them. But, you know, at the end of the day, Milwaukee had shot makers make shots, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on, but every time Green Bay had the momentum and started making a run and felt like, okay, we can get over the hump like they did against Detroit, like they did against Oakland at home, and like they did against UIC at home, UWM just had the answer and uh, we could never get over that hump in that game. So I thought seven and two, um, five and four to me is a little bit like, you know, a little bit behind where I thought they'd play. However, I do kind of like the way, even though they're, you know, only four games at home and five on the road. Uh, they have played better on the road this year. I know some fans have been concerned about the way that they've played on the road in the last couple of years. They, against mid-major teams, have a decent record on the road. And at home, if you're going to have four teams coming to, at home, Youngstown, Northern Kentucky, and Wright State, it's better to have them at home than to have them on the road. And so they've got their a chance to kind of control their own destiny here in the second half, even though they play more road games than home games. Right. And you're right. Five and four does feel a little disappointing, especially the way that Saturday's game at Youngstown went. They had an 11 point lead in the second half and it just slipped away. Uh, that was such a good basketball game, though. I mean, back and forth shot making. Jaquan McLeod had 30 points. Uh, so, I mean, Green Bay really should be six and three, uh, which would have made Friday's game even bigger. Um I mean, it's still a big game because Green Bay can clinch the tiebreaker, but, um, you know, that game Saturday was tough. They fell to one and four at the Bigley Center in the Darner era. Uh, so that was just a tough one. 
Yeah, I, so, yeah, that one, I do agree it was entertaining, although this is like my number one thing sports-wise, so every loss is just a heartbreaking <laughs> loss for me. But yeah. with, with that said, I could see where as a basketball fan, that would have been an entertaining game. And it's kind of, um, it's one of those things, I actually personally was just talking about this with one of my coworkers, that I've been so into the teams that I like, Green Bay and then the Milwaukee Bucks, that I don't oftentimes just enjoy basketball for basketball when I'm watching those teams play. Yeah. And there were some calls in that game that, you know, we don't really need to go into, but uh, overall just a really frustrating game. Uh, But other than that, around the league, uh, things are kind of playing out as the preseason predictions thought they would, at least with the top two spots so far. Uh, Wright State is the clear number one, though they've had a couple of games they could have lost, including the Green Bay game that first, uh, you know, back in December. They also should have lost to Detroit Mercy, who really blew that game. Uh, so, you know, the Raiders could easily be 6-3, and three, but instead uh, they look to be pretty comfortably in control of that number one seed right now. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, fans we like to lie to ourselves like oh well we could have had that game or we were right there and in sports that's one of the things that the best teams figure out a way to win uh you see that in the nba level now the bucks have one of the best teams and they figure out a way even when it's tight even when it's close they figure out a way to win and so i think sometimes we like to lie to ourselves and think oh well we were closer to winning that game than we really were because <laughs> uh right. to me right states the best team in the league obviously they've got the best player. If you had to pick a conference player of the year, to me, it'd be loud and love, you know, in conference averaging 17 and 11. And it's basically just a immovable object and an unstoppable force that nobody else has. And the thing about him too, is that he really doesn't have a bad game. I didn't look at all of his games, but I feel like he gets the same numbers every game. Whereas perhaps like a Tyler Sharp has a 33 point game and then he has a, a nine point game. Uh, loud and love feels a lot more consistent to me. And, and it's, um, they're definitely number one, and they've they've earned it. Do you think if they get the auto bid and go to the NCAA tournament, do you think they could potentially win a game? I mean, you always hear guard play is the key in March. They do have a couple of really talented <laughs> guards in Cole Gentry and Jalen Hall, but you mentioned Loudon Love, who's, you know, you, I love the way you phrase that, the immovable object inside. Uh, do you think there's any chance they could win a game as – 14 or you know an outside chance at a 13 seed you know um so i gotta take my green bay glasses off because i'm a big hater on everybody else it's not green bay i i think yeah there's always a chance it's all matchup dependent but one of the things about Wright state is that i don't feel like they really did their work i mean they had a winning record in non-conference but the teams they played were really weak and the chance you know, of winning a game improves so much when you get into that 12 line or 13 line. And I, I just feel like they're going to be seated too low uh, in the tournament to get a, a really good favorable draw. Uh, but they've got some pieces and they've got experience and they've been there before with this team. If they got in, it wouldn't surprise somebody to see them win. But the last time that they got in two years ago, I mean, they got, I mean, they got beat pretty easily and they had a good team and people are like, Oh, I could see them maybe winning a game. They lost by 20 or whatever it was. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's been since 2009, since we've had a horizon league team, not named Butler win an NCAA tournament game. So uh, it'd be nice if we could get one this year and get some more money in all of our coffers. 
you know, I know we're on the Fear of the Phoenix podcast, and like I couldn't think of anything better as a college basketball fan than our university winning that game, being the one that does that. Like, that's the stuff that I'm like, man, how do we get that to happen? And then how do you sustain it? That's the stuff I think about as a fan. Like, that's what I'm aiming for. Winning and being relevant is good, but getting that tournament and tasting victory, that's what I really want as a fan. I agree. I like the idea of building a program that cannot just get to the NCAA tournament, but, you know, trying to get to that second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, we're we're going to talk about Northern Kentucky in a little bit with Kyle. Um, but real quick, they've been playing without Jalen Tate for uh, much of the season, and now they're without Dantez Walton. But they still found a way to get some wins. Um, just real quick, you have anything to add on them, or we can save that for Kyle later too otherwise? I would say my big thing with them, I had them picked lower to start at the beginning of the year. Uh, I will say this, that I'm super impressed that despite losing players for extended periods of time, that they have managed to rally and keep winning. Uh, Their zone defense is really tough. We'll talk about more with Kyle. The thing that worries me about them is their shot selection is uh, dicey at best. And that's why you see them a lot of threes. And that's why you see them occasionally, you know, blow somebody out or get blown out. And, to me, the mark of a, like a really great team, that doesn't happen. I, I can't imagine Wright State losing a game by more than five this year. Right. Yeah. So continuing down the line, that brings us to Milwaukee, unfortunately. I just I don't really even like talking about them. Uh, but, but they're picked to finish seventh, currently third based on tiebreakers. Uh, what's interesting to me is the metrics don't really like them, at least uh, offensively. They're last in effective field goal percentage, eighth in offensive efficiency. This is within the conference. Tenth in three-point field goal percentage. Uh, you know, they're a def- uh, decent defensive team that forces a lot of turnovers, which keeps them in games. Um, you know, five of their last nine have been decided by six or less. And then they get blown out by Cleveland State on Saturday. So uh, I think this Milwaukee team is kind of like Green Bay, just up and down and you don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah. When I look at Milwaukee, my thing with Milwaukee is that they've won some games where a a Tijan Lucas, a guy who's really at a high level, just went out and made plays. I mean, that the game in green Bay, he went nuts. I mean, he had 30 something points Uh, right before that, or right after that, he went length of the court, four seconds left to hit a layup to win a game. To me, I struggle seeing them maintain this the rest of the year because they're not that great on offense and they gamble a lot on defense. Like their defense isn't that good, but they get a lot of turnovers. So I can't necessarily see them sustaining that hopefully uh, because so much of it feels dependent on like having one guy really go out and make plays. And then the other thing too, I see uh, Roy, a really nice player, but he has games where he is, you know, white hot and he has games where he will just shoot them out of a game. And, uh, Again, consistency is a big thing. So I'm not um, I'm not sold on them maintaining top three, but I definitely thought they'd be better than seven coming into the season. Right. You know, as far as the rivalry, you mentioned that Green Bay's kind of dominated the Darner era. I think it was seven of the last eight before this most recent meeting that Green Bay had won. Um, do you feel like this rivalry is kind of cooled off a little bit? I mean, compared to... 10 years ago, obviously, when there's 7,000 
fans packing the rest center, but even, uh, you know, the worst loss in green Bay history, as far as I'm concerned, 2014 green Bay's pretty much dominated since then. So I feel like the rivalry is kind of cooled down a little bit. Am, am I wrong on that one? Uh, I definitely think it's cooled down, but I feel like that's coming more from the Milwaukee side. Uh, you know, the game while, while there weren't a lot of people at the game in green Bay, it still was one of the better draws that they had this year. Uh, in terms of, I think it was like 2,100 at was the announced attendance. My thing is that the Milwaukee program has gone through so many um, hiccups or, you know, their fan base is so fractured that it can't be a big deal unless both sides feel it's a big deal. And for right now, I feel like the Milwaukee fans really, they just need a rallying point. They need some success to get their program back going so that the rivalry can be a good thing uh, for both teams. Cause I think our fans still turn out when the game comes to Milwaukee in three weeks, I think you're going to see a good three to 500 green Bay fans at the game. I mean, I still think green Bay cares about the rivalry, but Milwaukee uh, they're just in a lull with their program right now. Yeah. So that brings us to Youngstown state, the uh, perennial doormat of the conference. Um, but that no longer seems to be the case this year, at least, uh, I wrote down here, so they've been in the Horizon League. This is the 19th season, and they have finished above 500 in the conference one time in that span back in 2012. So, I mean, they finished in the Ken Palm top 200 only four times in this in that span. Uh, they're not going to get there this year, but, I mean, they seem to be on the right track, at least, you know, compared to where their program had been in the past. Yep, you know, the thing that uh, they've always had some players, if you think of Kendrick Perry or you think of Cameron Morris, they've always had some guys that could individually go out and get big numbers. But now they've got more than one guy. I've, If you're doing an all-conference team right now, I'd have uh, Quisenberry on my first team and I'd have Nas Bohannon on my second team all-conference. So they have more than one guy. And they really, like, I don't know if the numbers say they're a great defensive team, but you see like Quisenberry, best player on the team. He's really out there pressuring the ball. And then you've got another big guy anchoring the back line. Like they're, they're a tough squad. And uh, definitely with the youth that they have, I mean, Quisenberry is a sophomore. And I think Bohannon's a junior. Like not only do they have an opportunity this year, they have an opportunity next year as well. So doormat no longer. Right. Yeah, you, you said it. Quisenberry's a stud. And I mean, Nas Bohannon, nobody likes to talk about or hear people talk about their fantasy team, but he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> he's just a rebounding machine. So I like watching him play. Um, you know, that was just a tough loss on Saturday, so I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, so that brings me to my next question here. Who's been the bigger disappointment so far this year, UIC or Oakland? At least in Europe. Well, I wasn't high on either team because, I, you know, Oakland had no guards coming into the season. And uh, UIC probably has one of the more selfish teams in terms of how they play and how they're coached to play. Uh, but with that said, I definitely think Oakland is more disappointing. UIC is starting to come around. If you look at their conference-only stats, uh, they're four and five, their offensive numbers are actually really good in conference play, uh, whereas Oakland is re- you know, regressing and I mean, just got blown out a couple of times at home. Uh, and they do have with Breck Dean and Xavier Hill Mays, they have some guys that should be able to put it together. They don't have a ton of depth, but they should be better than they are. Like battling for the basement is not where I thought Oakland would be. I thought they'd be in that, 
you know, five, six, seven range, not ninth or tenth. I was shocked when I was looking earlier today just at, uh, you know, just the basic stats like rebounding margin. Oakland is dead last in rebounding margin, which I was just baffled by considering the bigs that they have. I mean, uh, they're dead last in offensive efficiency in the conference, ninth in turnover percentage. You you said that they do have really inexperienced guards. Um, but, I mean, it's not like they're playing the run and gun like they used to. They're They're like, 300th in tempo they're not playing at a a high speed or anything um maybe Rashad Williams helps them but he hasn't exactly made an instant impact yet for them yeah and I think Rashad Williams I mean a great player but I didn't see him playing in the point guard role at Cleveland State last year I felt like he was off the ball a lot more with Appleby there and they still don't have a point guard and if you think of the core of their offense requires you to dribble into the lane or the lane extended uh, to get going, they really don't have anybody that can do that yet. And so Williams, he looks the part. He, you know, definitely has some skill, but I don't think he's really fit into the pieces that they have right now. So uh, I, I don't necessarily see them getting a lot better as the next nine games go, but they have some pieces, so you can't overlook them. Right. I just real quickly for me, I, I did debate between UIC and Oakland who who the bigger disappointment is. I can't believe how many turnovers UIC has, you know, in the course of a game. They're like, I think it's like a quarter of their possessions end in turnovers. It's crazy for a team with as many experienced and talented guards that they have that they're making all these mistakes on the floor. I mean, that's got to be coaching, right? It, I think it's a little of that, and they definitely have some guys that are a little more me first when I watch them play. Um, you know, it's funny, the other, a quarter of their possessions also end in a wide open three getting brick, but that's just another problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the other side of the coin, my biggest surprise, it, it has to be Cleveland State, right? Oh, man, I agree with you entirely, Brian. I have biggest surprise, Cleveland State. I would, If you're giving out coach of the year, even though they don't have the best record, I'd give it to Dennis Gates. Um, it's kind of like a weird mix of last chance you meets the bad news bears, and they're just all lucky enough to be in the spot where they believe all of his <laughs> his uh, you know mojo and his, his, uh, his fancy talk. Um, I, I don't necessarily think they're super skilled, but they play – some interesting defenses in their zone and their full court pressure and they get the game to play at their speed and, and basically give themselves a chance by not letting you run them out of the, out of the gym with offense. I mean, green Bay's offense was significantly better than anything Cleveland state will be putting out there this year or maybe next year. And yet it was only what a four point game in the end, because they're able to control uh, the speed at which the game is played and force you into a couple of mistakes that um, you know keep the game close. So I really I give them a ton of credit because that's a team that everybody was said, oh yeah, zero and eighteen in conference play, five wins total on the year, and here they are, yeah. four and five halfway through, and believing what uh, Coach Gates is selling. Right, I jotted down that their four wins has already exceeded my expectations for them. So. Um, you know, this roster was basically assembled off the scrap heap since Dennis Felton was fired in July, I think it was. So they had to really assemble a roster pretty late on in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'd say about them that I, I'd be curious is as they get better talent in there, 
Uh, not to say they don't have talent, because I would have Craig uh, Bodwan on my all-conference team, second-team all-conference right now. But as they get more players like him or better than him, will they still believe and still buy into that scrappiness? Like, that's one of the things that, you know, that people talk about entitlement in basketball. Uh, as you get better players, like, they got guys that had no other alternatives. They have no choice but to believe. And as they get better players, can they keep that going? And I'm, I'm sure they can, but it is something to monitor for them. Right. Yeah, I noticed they have a couple of three-star recruits coming in next season, which I, you know, I kind of did a double take. Like what, Cleveland State's getting three-star recruits, but uh, one of them's a like a seven-foot-two center and a six-five shooting guard, which that'll be really nice for them. So that, that, they should be, you know, turning it around in a hurry with players like that coming in. That six-five uh, shooting guard's already there. He enrolled at the semester break. Alec Oglesby, I think, is his name. He's yep, uh, he, yeah, he's on campus already. Awesome. Yeah, and then so Detroit Mercy and IUPUI both picked to finish towards the bottom, eighth and ninth respectively. They're both kind of down there. Uh, I'm not. I'm just not going to talk about IUPUI because it just makes me so mad that Green Bay can't beat them. Uh, you know, so my when, question. I was going to say about IUPUI. I have to. I I have to bring it up because I have that down for Green Bay as one of my biggest disappointments is losing to them. It's like. Playing IUPUI is like setting a screen on Brad Davison. You know you're going to get punched in the family jewels, but you have to set the screen anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah, I just can't figure it out. It's and now they got to play him next week at like 10 a.m. or something like that. So who knows? Maybe that'll be the good luck charm. <laughs> yeah, I think for Detroit, I know you mentioned them, so can I talk about them? Uh, you can't not have an Antoine Davis on your all-conference team just based on raw numbers, but I'd have him as a second-team all-conference player, and quite frankly, I have him as the biggest disappointment in the league. Like his numbers wow. have his numbers have regressed. Nobody else would be able to play the way that he plays, chucking up shots, turning the ball over, not rebounding, not a, you know, following the shot. Like uh, he's a fun player to watch, and probably has a tremendous future because of what he can do. But he is definitely overstepping um, what I think are the bounds of normal ba- team basketball, and it's uh, no surprise that they haven't been that good, in my opinion, because the way they allow him to play. So I actually have him as the biggest disappointment in, in the league. But that's because a guy of that talent should be held to a high standard in my mind. I could see that, and I actually had written down: uh, Is Antoine Davis a first team player? in your opinion right now. And you answered that one. So uh, who, who's the rest of your first team? If, if you don't mind, I know you kind of mentioned a few of them, but do you have, yeah, five in front of you? I got uh love Tyler Sharp, Jaquan McLeod, Quisenberry and Lucas on my first team. Uh, obviously we talked about love sharp, huge scorer, gritty defender, uh, a little bit of a street shooter for my liking, but um, really, I'm, I mean, he's tough as nails and a guy that you love to hate. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you get annoyed by him because he's just that kind of guy. And uh, McLeod has had a great conference season, 17 points, six assists, 5.8 rebounds in conference play. Uh, he's been amazing for Green Bay, and he makes some really tough plays. And uh, we talked about Quisenberry. Lucas is a obviously tremendous individual player, uh, 16 and five in conference play. Second team, I had Wampler. Um, he's only really scoring he's not he doesn't have a ton of assists or a ton of rebounds but he's just kind of he's just always there he's a big shot maker he's shooting 50 percent conference play 
Uh, I have Marcus Burke on my second team. You, you know, that guy is a really smooth operator on offense. Just a, you know, he gets to the hoop. He can shoot threes. Uh, then I have Davis, Craig Bodwan, and Nas Bohanan. So that's what I've got for uh, all conference right now. I like that. Yeah, I really like Marcus Burke's game as much as I hate talking about IUPUI. So um, that that's a good pick by you. You know, the funny, as I say, think about Burke. They've got Burke, Manette, Elijah Goss averages 15 rebounds, two blocks in conference play. Like, they have enough to be winning more games than just beating Green Bay. <laughs> And Oakland, so we can we can throw that in there now. Fair. Yeah. So as far as the all freshman team, obviously Amari Davis at the top. Then it's Tanner Holden from Wright State, Blake Lampman from Oakland, and after that it's kinda like, you know, I guess I guess Courtney Brown from Milwaukee. I had Grant Pasilli fifth from Wright State because he did pretty good when uh, Love was out with injury and he's a Wisconsin guy so I mean yeah do, like do you have a do you have a five for your <laughs> I, I had Courtney Brown as four uh five I put a sad state of affairs for the youth in the league <laughs> that there's not a fifth guy that's actually playing and contributing <laughs> as a freshman right now uh the <laughs> league has definitely evolved to have a ton of transfers if you look at you know um guys like Sharp you know, came in from Louisville as a walk-on. McLeod's a JUCO guy. Uh, T. John Lucas from Illinois. Wampler from Drake. Marcus Burke from uh, Campbell. You know, so half of my first team or first and second team are guys that didn't start in the league as freshmen. So uh, definitely right. think it's a sad state of affairs for the youth in the league. Although C.J. Wilburn, Grant Basile, and Matt DePersia would have been the guys. I mean, I couldn't even find anybody other than that as a freshman that's doing anything. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's going to be tough for them to to put a five together for that award at the end of the year. So uh, you mentioned you would have Dennis Gates as your coach of the year. We're in agreement on that. I think, you know, it's a do more with less exceeding expectations kind of thing. Um, As far as Green Bay, um, you know, awards or, or whatever you want to call it, who is your biggest surprise this year so far? Well, the things I wrote for Green Bay, obviously Amari Davis scoring the way he has as a freshman. I mean, no moment is too big for him. He's been super consistent. He hasn't forced anything that's outside of his game, really. Um, I, I, obviously, that's a surprise. I was actually really su- pleasantly surprised with like overall player development. Like You think of how much better P.J. Pipes is this year. You see guys like Will and Hunter uh, contributing when they hadn't in the past necessarily been able to contribute. Um, you see a guy like Cody with his mid-range game and his pull-up game. Uh, I mean, he doesn't take a ton of them, but it looks significantly better and more confident than what we saw from him last year. So I was just really, for them, I was, it wasn't anybody other than Amari that I was surprised by, but it was, yeah. it was more of like, hey, all these guys did make strides. And, and overall, like coming into the season for Green Bay, people definitely were worried, like, how do you replace Sandy? And, I, and Sandy was a great player, but the offense for Green Bay, the numbers are fantastic. They have a ton of depth where a lot of guys are scoring, and it's kind of like the next man up. Like they just, you know, I'm never going to worry about their offense ever again under Coach uh, Darner. Uh, defense now, well, that's a different conversation. But the offense, like, definitely, <laughs> I think people have to be pleasantly surprised with how they're playing. Yeah, they're they have a top 100 offense according to Ken Palm. They haven't had 
this good of an offense since 2009, which, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about. But you're right, the defensive end uh, needs some help. <laughs> uh, my biggest surprise, I love the uh, the strides that P.J. Pipes has made this year. Especially, you, you look at his three-point shooting, he was 35% last year. He's up to f- almost 48% this year, uh, excuse me, 45% this year, which which is insane. He's up to scoring to almost 11 a game. And he's only playing like seven or eight more minutes per game than he did last year. So um, a lot of it is just more efficiency, a little bit more usage with, with Cohen being gone. But uh, I love the the strides that PJ has made this year. You mentioned him. So uh, I also, you know, I debated between him and Manny because I, I love Manny Patterson. Uh, I hope he gets some more run. <laughs> I hate seeing him, you know, ride the pine, but uh, both of them, I think, have made really good strides this year. Brian, as you know, I'm the, if there was a Manny Patterson fan club, I would definitely be either the president or vice president of it. Uh, <laughs> that's my guy. I love Manny's game. Uh, obviously, you know, not all is perfect with Manny's game, but when we, when we talked to Kyle here in a few minutes about the NKU game, I mean, Manny was a big part of them beating NKU so handily. Yeah. Yeah. He's hitting, he's hitting pull up jumpers. Like it's nothing now. I, I love watching that. So uh, do you have anything else to, uh, to add as far as the, you know, look around the horizon league here at the halfway point, you know, in the end, I definitely see Wright state uh, maintaining their lead. I think there's a really good chance to catch up to Northern Kentucky. Uh, I think of a couple of teams like Milwaukee and Youngstown are really inconsistent uh, in terms of their offense and in defense, like at least with green Bay, you know, they're going to score. They do one thing really well. And if they get any defense or rebounding, you can, they're probably going to be golden. Uh, I kind of, I, I definitely am still optimistic for green Bay coming down the stretch here. I'd love to say nine and zero, but uh, you know, if we got back to my seven and two on the back half of this, we'd be sitting, you know, 12 and six coming into the conference tournament. And that's definitely going to get you a home game. If not close to that first round buy or that uh, first two round buy. So I'm still really optimistic about green Bay. I know that's a, a big Homer thing and a, and a huge super fan kind of thing, but they haven't <laughs> been that bad. They're so close. I agree. Yeah. I mentioned, you know, five and four feels right just based on the performances. But with that being said, they, I, I think green Bay has the talent to, to win that second seed, you know, no question. You're right. They've been, they've been close. That'll do it for this episode, but uh, be sure to check out part two for our interview with Kyle Craven from NorseReport.com as we take a look at the upcoming weekend's game. Uh, Friday night, Northern Kentucky comes to the Cress Event Center.